Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Hummus Tailgate Party. I'm your host, Thomas Jackson. We're getting back into a little bit more of a normal groove now. My October was absolute craziness in all good ways, but I was just so busy. I haven't been able to put as much time into the pod as I was able to in September. So now with November comes a much lighter schedule for me. So we'll be uh, getting back into some more interviews and stuff to finish the season strong after this week. I had a lot of traveling couple work projects due and the Braves making the unexpected playoff run that they did just all uh, kind of amounted to being busy every single day of the month so kind of nice to take a little bit of a breather so we'll go into housekeeping real quick and kind of lay out what the pod is going to look like for the rest of the season then get into the episode um Let's see here. So next week, I believe we're going to have another Best Bet episode. Jacob's going to come back on, and we're going to have a good week, speak it into existence. Um, After that, I don't have anything lined up for the following week, but then on Thanksgiving Rivalry Weekend, we're going to have a big Iron Bowl Summit with several guests on the show, so I'm looking forward to that, kind of getting that in the works already. Um. Also, keep your eye out after the season is after the regular season is over. I'm going to set up some type of little bowl pick'em league for all the listeners to do, where maybe we pick the spread against um, all the bowl games and have a little prize for the winner, something fun like that. So, I've been thinking about doing that, maybe for like a full season thing um, next season. So we'll give it a little test run for the bowl games, and that should be a lot of fun. Um, This episode, I'm going to do a quick little World Series slash just playoff recap for the Braves, talk about going to the game this past weekend in Atlanta. Um, After that, we'll do kind of the normal Week 9 recap, Week 10 preview, go over some of the college football playoff rankings that just came out last night, and uh, round everything off with the segments. So thanks for listening. Back in business. Hope you enjoy. Thomas Jackson, beautiful podcast from Denver. So just as we all expected all year long, your Atlanta Braves are the 2021 world champions. It it was such a crazy up and down year. I'm still not totally processing it. Even now that we're close to 24 hours after the game, it's going to take a while for this one to sink in. Um, You know, I mean, those who have been following the Braves all year, already know, but at the beginning of the season, we lost Marcelo Zuna. We signed him to a huge contract after he really helped us out a lot last year in the postseason. He had some off-the-field issues with domestic abuse charges and really haven't heard much about him since April. I don't even know what the situation is, but he hasn't played since then. Uh, Of course, Mike Soroka, the Braves ace really before he got injured in the 2020 season retore his Achilles when it looked like he was close to a comeback in the middle of this year that was in uh mid-June late June he was just walking to the stadium for a normal you know normal game sit there on the bench or whatever and he retore it somehow just walking down the sidewalk and then the thing that really put you know most Braves and the entire baseball community in shambles and thinking it just, you know, was the year from hell for the Braves is when 
Ronald Acuna very soon after the Soroka incident tore his ACL in late June against the Marlins. The Braves did not get over 500 until August 6th all year long. It was just this kind of running, almost turned into kind of a meme. Like, you know, if the Braves are within a game of reaching 500 or over, you could just bet the payroll that they were not going to win that ball game, go on a, you know, get swept and then dig themselves back a hole. Thankfully, the division was the weakest in the MLB. So even though they were really struggling for a long time, that, you know, they didn't build themselves a huge margin being down to where they couldn't eventually come back from it. Really what, what I'll remember most from this year is just the the guts that the GM Alex Anthopoulos had at the trade deadline. You know, Braves were not over 500. We had lost three key figures that were supposed to be instrumental parts parts of our team for the season, if not longer. And he went out. It would have been really easy to sell at the trade deadline. He went out and got four new outfielders that all ended up being huge and instrumental in the playoff run that just concluded. Of course, those are Jock Peterson, Adam Duvall, Eddie Rosario, and the World Series MVP, Jorge Soler. Uh, You know, it was really surprising. We got Jock a couple weeks earlier than the other three guys, and that was mostly just to help fill in the gap that Acuna had left when he got hurt in right field. Um, the other three guys were all traded for on July 30th. And I remember seeing my group chat with my buddies blowing up that day. Like, wow, we didn't expect the Braves to be acquiring all of this. If anything, maybe sell, get some prospects and just, you know, chalk this year up to bad luck. Nobody would have really been upset about that. I don't think I certainly would have understood, but Anthopolis still believed in this team and knew that there was still a hell of a lot of talent on the roster. And he went out and, those trades, you know, without them, there's no way the Braves even make the postseason, especially not make the run that we just did. Um, we were underdogs in all three series. The Brewers won. Felt like the most of a coin flip to me. I mean, I, you know, I felt pretty solid about our chances to win that, but the Brewers are no slouch, so I wouldn't have been, you know, terribly upset if we, we had fallen to them, but... They got that done, and then bigger, I mean, we were the biggest underdogs in the NLCS against the Dodgers because they were everyone's favorite to repeat as champions. And then the Astros were a favorite over the Braves in the series as well. And, I mean, just kind of looking back on it in a broad view, it's just it's crazy that the Atlanta curse has been lifted. Those of us that have been watching the Braves our, our whole life have just been put through so much because... Most of my existence, the Braves have had really good squads, but they just always find a way to choke it up in the postseason in typical Atlanta sports fashion. Um, One of the crazy things about being where we are now is that the Braves did all of this without having to ever face an elimination game. They beat the Brewers in game four out of five and then beat the Dodgers and Astros in games six out of those seven game series. So, they, I mean, they really just dominated everybody the whole time. We're used to seeing really great pitching in Atlanta and the bats 
typically goes silent in the postseason, which is the reason for a lot of early exits. And, I mean, both both squads on the Braves just held their own and they were consistent. And whenever we needed someone to step up, there was always a guy who, you know, seemed to just get better in the spotlight. Uh, you know, back to the the trades that we made and how instrumental they were in the run. Jock Peterson was the MVP of the NLDS. Uh, Eddie Rosario was the MVP of the NLCS. And, of course, Solaire was the MVP of the World Series. So, I mean, it's it's really wild that, you know, a, a, no one that was a brave before July didn't even win the, you know, when one of the series MVPs, all these guys came in and we all know the Braves have a, you know, pretty cool, fun team. It's, you know, a lot of big personalities and those just get even bigger when things are going well and you're winning. It's such a great dynamic with Snit. Of course, he's been in the Braves organization for 45 years. He's really been through it all as a player, spent, you know, most of his career in the minor leagues for the Braves and uh, finally, finally reaching the mountaintop as as the manager, and he did a hell of a job all postseason. I mean, a lot of people, you know, are pitching, especially Will Smith was not looking good at all down the stretch of the regular season. He stuck with them because he knew that we were going to need him in the playoffs if we even got there. And Will Smith didn't give up a single run the entire postseason stretch, which, you know, was surprising and delightful to all of us that watched the, you know, his performance down the stretch in August and September. Um, I mean, Tyler Matzik, you know, probably if, you know, outside, it's, it's hard to, you know, give one player the MVP. You kind of feel like you need to do it for an MVP with the bat and an MVP with – on the mound, but <clears throat> Matzik just absolute, absolute cold-blooded. All that he's been through, he he had to leave baseball for a while back in the the mid 2010s. I think it was 2017 because um, he just had so much anxiety and the yips, as he's called it himself. And he came in and just you know whenever whenever he rolled out of the bullpen, you knew no matter how bad of a situation the Braves were in, he was going to get us out of it. And just time after time and time again, he came through so huge for us. I mean, I'll always remember the game six in the NLCS when Luke Jackson put a guy on second and third with nobody out. It looked like you know the Braves lost game five. We were up 3-1. I think all of us still had that in our heads from last year. Luke Jackson comes in, and, you know, our lead is our lead is at stake. Matzik comes in, gets no runs across the plate when he had a guy on second and third with nobody out, struck out three Dodgers in a row, which is just unbelievable. I mean, that was one of the most exciting moments of the whole postseason, without a doubt. And just – you know, just the, the perseverance of this team to not quit after all that happened in the regular season. The Braves were undefeated in the postseason in games following a loss. They only lost one game at home the entire time. And, of course, it's the one that I was at. <laughs> my curse against my own teams and games that I've attended since I moved out to Colorado continues unfortunately but uh i mean it was it was uh quite quite the scene at truest park in atlanta 
I went to game five on Sunday against the Astros, and it was a bummer that we couldn't close it out then and there. Probably would have made for, you know, outside of when I went to the 2009 Rose Bowl, probably the coolest sports experience ever, but I'm still grateful that I got to go and just take it all in and experience that. I hadn't been to Atlanta, or I hadn't been to Truist Park for a game since I moved out here, so it was a great homecoming and got to see a lot of other friends who came in town for the game. So I, you know, I mean, it was absolutely surreal being in that stadium for a Braves world series game. But I mean, we were in Atlanta the whole weekend, Friday night had some plane troubles. We got in kind of late, watched it at my good compadre, Brett Stoddard's apartment. And then Saturday we went out to a bar for the, uh, amazing game six or game four when of course Dansby and Solaire hit the back-to-back jacks I think that Solaire home run that gave us the lead was probably the most exciting moment of the whole postseason for me the Rosario game six three-run bomb against the Dodgers is right up there as well and the other Solaire uh, ball that he's I, I still don't think it's landed he sent that thing to the moon last night that uh, gave the Braves the initial 3-0 lead in game six in Houston that would only grow I mean just just stellar clutch performance from all these guys you know I don't I don't know what the the signings are going to look like in the offseason but I obviously hope the Braves can keep as many of these guys on the squad as possible and get Acuna and Soroka back healthy. You know, it felt like after, after Morton broke his freaking leg in game one, it just felt like, here we go. My heart dropped down to the floor when whoever it was stepped on Freed's ankle. I don't know how that thing remained intact last night, but I mean, just awesome, awesome stuff from the whole pitching staff. Uh, all of the batters, you know, people just came up huge in different moments and a lot of unsuspected heroes for the Braves this October. But cheers to everybody who's been a long-suffering Braves fan like myself. We uh, we finally got us one, and it feels damn good. So look forward to continue to soak this all in and enjoy it over the off season. Now on to our college football Week 9 recap. Maybe the best game of the year so far. Michigan State overcame a huge second-half deficit to beat Michigan 37-33. to They were down 16 in the third quarter. We ended up just turning it to a different game at that point because it looked like Michigan was going to cruise and roll away with it. But, of course, it's never that easy for Harbaugh. Uh, this kind of, you know, this week kind of began the round robin in the Big Ten that we've been talking about the past couple weeks. So you're going to start to see the cream rise to the top in that pretty loaded Big Ten East division. Um, Michigan State remains undefeated. They jumped up to number three in the college football playoff poll, which absolutely nobody saw coming a few weeks ago. But they deserve it. All they've done is take care of business, and they got a huge, huge victory over Big Blue in East Lansing this week. So, you know, Michigan, I mean, I know it's got a sting really bad to give up a lead like that, but Harbaugh, yeah, I mean, it's their first loss of the season. They're still in really great shape, and I think if you would have asked any Michigan fan, you know, would you be happy going into November with one loss, it would be a no-brainer. So, 
Harbaugh still continues to let down in big spots. I mean, it's hard to remember the last time he won, if he's really ever won a game of this caliber. I don't think he has at Michigan. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, we're, we're finally off and running in the Big Ten, so it's going to be exciting to watch this down the stretch. Michigan State plays at Ohio State in three weeks, so that's looking like, you know, another candidate for game of the year with Ohio State looking a little bit more vulnerable this week. So we'll skip ahead, go ahead and touch on that one. So they only beat Penn State 33-24. to Penn State always gives Ohio State a great game, even when it's years like this when it really doesn't feel like they should. I think Ohio State was like an 18.5, 19-point favorite in that ball game. Illinois coming fresh off of the nine-overtime loss to Illinois. Um, you know, I don't know. I, I didn't see any of this game with it being at the same time as the Braves. Impressive outing by the Nittany Lions, especially with that ball game being in Columbus. I'm sure that place was absolutely rocking, but, um, you know, not a, not a great look for Ohio State, and that probably has to – Kind of something to do with their lower-than-expected ranking that we'll talk about. Georgia continues to look like they're in a league of their own. Uh, I should have mentioned this during the World Series thing. We were having fun and talking about maybe since the Braves won the first title in the state of Georgia in you know over a quarter century. I don't know if that's good news or bad news for the dogs. On one hand, maybe the curse is lifted and Georgia can finally get over the hump this year. On the other hand, you know, maybe Atlanta just took the only Georgia title for the next couple decades. Hopefully that's not the case for the Braves fans out there, but uh, it will, will be interesting to see how that theory plays out with the dogs the rest of the season. They beat Florida, I don't know if I mentioned 34-7. to Um Anthony Richardson started the game and, you know, that was a big talking point over the, you know, couple weeks leading up to the game. All the Florida fans really wanted to see that clearly did not make one bit of difference. Uh, you know, this final score 34 to seven, it probably wasn't even as close as that makes it look. Georgia just totally stomped them the whole game. Florida did kind of hang around in the first half, but then it's one of the things where you flip the channel for five minutes, turn back, and Georgia was up by like three scores all of a sudden. So the Dogs, clear-cut number one. Pretty easy November. Let's see who they have left. Yeah, they uh, they played Missouri next, then Tennessee, which looks like easily the hardest game left on their schedule. Uh, Tennessee, it's going to be very – if they can keep it you know, competitive with Kentucky – this upcoming Saturday, then that Georgia-Tennessee game will definitely draw a lot of eyeballs. The Vols offense, you know, should be able to hit a couple plays for scores on the Bulldogs, even though nobody else really has, so who knows. And they play Charleston Southern and Georgia Tech, so very favorable rest of the season for Georgia. You know, that Tennessee game could be interesting if Tennessee can kind of keep the good momentum they have going. Um, and lastly, for week nine, Auburn beat Ole Miss 31-20. to This game, uh, Ole Miss back at it with the failed fourth down conversions. They failed three of them inside their the 20-yard line and threw a pick in the end zone. So, you know, I mean, if they get a couple of those and we could be talking about a different outcome, if they just kick field goals on all of those, then 
you know, obviously it changes the rest of the game for Auburn too, but four more field goals would give them a win. So I don't know. They were just kind of just being overly aggressive like they were in the Bama game and turns out maybe they should have just taken the points a couple times and who knows how how it would have turned out but Corral did miss part of this game he re-aggravated his ankle that he hurt against Tennessee but you know Auburn keeps rolling and they deserve the credit for the win over a good old Miss team Auburn actually still controls their own destiny in the SEC, which is like hearing nails on a chalkboard for me. We've all seen this movie before, and I don't like how it ends, but this big game they have traveling to College Station this weekend uh, is kind of their last big test before the Iron Bowl. So if they can win that, then, you know, who freaking knows how this is going to turn out. But if Texas A&M can stomp on that momentum, we've never seen – in recent memory, Auburn win an Iron Bowl when they, you know, don't have the SEC West on the line. So that'll uh, that'll be a big one in College Station. We'll hit on that here later in the episode. And to round off the Week 9, we talked uh, last week about how there were some games with ranked teams playing unranked teams as, you know, with the unranked team being the fa- the betting favorite. This week, six ranked teams lost to unranked teams. Nothing with huge playoff implications or anything. The biggest was uh, probably Pitt losing to Miami, 38-34. to Miami's got a couple victories in a row now. They finally kind of seem to figure it out and click, although it's far too late to salvage really any type of a season for them. Number nine, Iowa is starting to look like Iowa again. Wisconsin beat them 27-7. to That's a really bad loss for the Hawkeyes. Mississippi State beat Kentucky. They were number 12 previously, uh, 31-17 to in Starkville. Houston beat number 19, SMU, 44-37. Fresno State beat number 21, San Diego State. 30 to 20 and the best bet crusher for this week West Virginia knocked off number 22 Iowa State 38 to 21 so now we'll get into the rankings that the college playoff committee released for the first time uh, last night I get pretty annoyed with people just freaking out over this stuff and then people complaining about people freaking out over this stuff so We're not going to spend too much time on this until we get, you know, a few more weeks into the season when things really round into shape, because obviously so much can and will change by the time the actual final rankings come out. You know, it's it's easy to say, oh, it's November 2nd when they release the first rankings like there's a whole month of football left. They don't matter, which is partially true because, you know, the games will be played. However, I think it's important context just because, you know, if Alabama... So, all right, I'll just go over the top. Top nine are really, really the kind of big, interesting group up there. You know, a lot of teams still in the mix. So, number one is obviously Georgia. Number two is Alabama, which I know was enraging a lot of people online. Um, you know, if you're surprised about that still at this point, I don't know what to tell you, whether you agree with it or not. Number three is Michigan state, which was a bit of a surprise, but after their big win against Michigan, you know, I think they 
deserve it as much as anybody. Number four, Oregon. Uh, number five, Ohio State. Of course, Oregon has not looked good at all <laughs> since like week two when they did beat Ohio State. But the committee, since they're both seven and one, gave Oregon the nod at least this early on over Ohio State. You know, if they both went out, it's kind of hard to imagine Oregon still making it in over Ohio State with uh, even with the head to head if Ohio State can just crush a few more people. But, um, yeah, that'll be interesting. So they gave Oregon the four over Ohio State because of the head-to-head win. Number six, poor Cincinnati. They are, of course, 8-0 and and trying to be the first group of five team to make the playoff. And it's looking like they're already, I think Big Cat was calling it the Cincinnati squeeze or something like that. You know, I mean, they haven't played anybody. They 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 beat Notre Dame on the road, which is a, you know a really good win. So that should count for something. However, the rest of their schedule is absolute cheeks, and they have not looked very convincing the past couple weeks. Struggling with teams like Navy, who is just god awful. Number seven is Michigan at seven and one, and the only nine and zero team in the country. The Oklahoma Sooners are number eight. And then lastly, to round it off, Wake Forest is 8-0 at number 9. So the ACC has been so abysmal this year. It's looking like even if Wake Forest runs the table and they're an undefeated ACC champ, I mean, it would, it would be really surprising to see them leapfrog, leapfrog all the way up into the top four, um, which is, you know, that's kind of the important context here, I think, is... Like, yes, these rankings will change a lot. Most of these, especially these top six teams, well, Georgia's obviously the clear number one, but everybody from, like, Alabama at two to Cincinnati at six, you could just kind of draw those names out of the hat, and I think you could make an argument for just about any order of all those teams. Of course, it's weird seeing Oklahoma at 9-0, and but I guess the committee is just acknowledging that they have been in a dogfight every single week against, you know, very, very inferior competition. So even though they're 9-0 and Oklahoma, that you know, they, they just – they're begging to lose. But the hard part of their schedule is coming up. So I think they're going to drop one of these games in November. Um, but it'll settle itself out, obviously. So, you know – Think about this, Cincinnati at number eight, or sorry, number six, Wake Forest at number nine. Both of these teams are undefeated, and they have three teams with a loss in front of them. So I think style points are really coming into play here. It's not if you win, but, you know, by how much, kind of like the old BCS days. And, you know, a lot of people don't like number two Alabama sitting there with a loss when there are one two three four five other teams in the top nine that are undefeated however if you come out like Oklahoma and you almost get beat by Kansas of all people then you know it's they they just have not looked convincing at all been squeaking by in all these games so all that being said obviously if Alabama wins out we're getting in you have to believe that's the case with Michigan State as well, even though they have a lot in front of them with the Ohio State game. But, you know, Wake Forest, since if they were at number three or four, and, you know, you would have to believe that if they won out, 
they would probably get in. But now with them being all the way down at number nine, it's not like they're just going to jump up and, you know, hop five other teams when they're just playing totally crap teams every single week. So I think that it's important just because if you start in the top four, it's a lot easier to finish in the top four. And if you're Oklahoma or Wake Forest, with Oklahoma has some quality opponents left. So if they went out, I think they'll find their way in. But, you know, Cincinnati is kind of the big one that everyone has their eyes on, being the first group of five team to really make this push since UCF. And they've looked better than UCF most weeks until, you know, the last couple struggling with Tulane, who's like one in seven now this past Saturday. And like they can't they can't afford to win those games by seven or ten points like they need to be beating the doors off of these very, very bad teams that they're playing to have any chance to get in. So I think when you just look at the, you know, the possible movement and who's ahead of these teams that are on the outside looking in makes for the most interesting kind of discussion and brainstorming when it comes to these early rankings. That's all I'll say about it for now. We'll probably do this kind of touch on it, you know, for five or 10 minutes every week. And that'll increase obviously as we get towards rivalry and conference championship week, but it's, you know, they're not totally irrelevant, but everyone, you know, if you're freaking out, just calm down. There's a month of ball left to play. All right, week 10 preview. It's not a huge week of ball. Um, Obviously, usually this week is headlined by LSU at Alabama. Uh, But LSU is a 28.5-point underdog, so I expect to see a game a lot like last year where it's over early. LSU is still just kind of a weird situation with Coach O being the interim-ish head coach. And, I mean, they've had all sorts of injuries and opt-outs just like last year, so I won't (laughs) bore everybody else with a ton of takes on that game because, you know, if it's not a huge win from Alabama, then they probably don't deserve to be in that number two spot. Um, They need to come out, especially after a bye week, and just just roll them and get some payback for a couple years ago in Bryant-Denny. Uh, the big one, the, the best game of the week is Auburn and A&M for sure. This really should have been game day, but they threw Cincinnati a bone and they're going to see them against, uh, who are they playing? Tulsa. Fascinating. Uh, Cincinnati's a 22 and a half point favorite there. So, you know, that's a game they need to win by more than 22 and a half and get people feeling good about them again. But A&M is a four and a half point favorite over Auburn. Feels a bit much to me with how good Auburn's been playing recently, but A&M has found their groove as well. Um, I mean, this game's going to be awesome. Kyle Field's going to be very loud. Uh, this is the 2.30 SEC primetime game there in the afternoon slot. So, you know, if Auburn wins this, then I think I will not be the only Alabama fan that is going to be getting more and more nervous about Auburn controlling their own destiny, looking ahead to the Iron Bowl and whatnot. Um, A&M, they still need some help because they've lost two SEC games compared to Auburn's one. So if A&M won this game, they're in good shape, but they would still need Alabama to lose a game in order to make it to the SEC title game. Um, Of course, Ole Miss now sitting with two SEC losses to both Alabama and Auburn as well so they you know by by losing that Auburn game Ole Miss is kind of fourth in line in the west which is crazy because they're still a really good team but the SEC West is just so ridiculously loaded 
Um, so I don't know. I don't know. This is going to be a good one, and I'm definitely excited to to watch this entire game before Bama comes on. Uh, another big SEC matchup over on the east side. Awesome rivalry game. Tennessee is at Kentucky. This game's a pick 'em, which uh, you know the Cats have been kind of trending down. I don't know what happened against Mississippi State, but losing by two touchdowns is definitely concerning for uh, Kentucky. State's not bad by any means, but you know that's a game that with how well Kentucky's been playing this year, they probably you know were expecting to win, even though Vegas smartly didn't agree. Um, that was a great game to just not touch at all because that line was so so odd with Kentucky being a one-point underdog despite how much better they've looked at State all year and State got an easy win. So I I like Kentucky in this game. Um, all the, I mean, you know, it's a pick em, so <laughs> it, nothing, nothing would be surprising, I guess. But Tennessee has been looking good, and Kentucky, you know, with their big blip last week and getting rolled by Georgia pretty recently has kind of been on the downhill. So this would be a really big win for either program. Obviously, it means a lot being the, the rivalry game there between the two, but I'll definitely have this on the side TV and uh, maybe switch it over in the fourth quarter of the Bama game. But it's, you know, going to be interesting to see how Tennessee can hold up just injury wise. They're coming off of a bye, which they desperately needed after the Alabama game, and they just had a brutal stretch. And they have to go to Georgia the week after this, so really no breaks <laughs> for the Vols. But uh, I mean, this would be a really massive win for either of these teams that could, you know, send them into finishing the season really, really strong. So. I'll take Kentucky, but I'm I'm pretty fascinated to see how Tennessee comes out and holds up here in Lexington on Saturday night. That's a six o'clock kick, um, and so is Bama, by the way. So on to segments, uh, the hot seat of the week presented by Lee Corso. Uh, well, Gary Patterson was fired, and I had seen I did not put him on any of the the hot seat of the week list. But I had seen some kind of chatter. He had been there for so long. He was the second longest tenured coach in the FBS. He'd been there for uh, 21 years, I believe. Only Iowa's Kirk Frenitz had has been at one school for longer. So I don't know what the Horn Frogs are going to do going forward. He obviously, you know, turned that program around. Got them a Rose Bowl victory, took them to heights that they probably never imagined were really possible at TCU. But his uh, time had definitely run his course, and I don't know, I don't know where they go from here. But Gary Patterson, pretty, pretty legendary tenure there at TCU. Uh, no new names on the list this week. Scott Frost in Nebraska are back on the downhill swing. So he's finding himself at the top of our list yet again. Uh, Manny Diaz in Miami. I still think it's uh, too late for him to salvage anything with how disappointing the majority of this season has been. They are coming off of a nice win against Pittsburgh. And uh, even more ACC, Mike Norvell at Florida State. They just lost 30-20 to to the horrible Clemson team that was – probably the worst bad beat that I've suffered all season. I had Florida State plus the nine and a half. They were down by, I guess it was four, 
and just tried to do some, you know, crazy uh, lateral play the last play of the game. And after throwing the ball all over the field several times, Clemson ended up scooping scoring into the end zone to score a meaningless covering touchdown to get the margin to 10. So that was pretty uh pretty awful uh, the best bet lost anyway on a pretty rough Iowa State one but um yeah I'm glad that we didn't have to suffer through that is the one that we were really paying attention to Virginia Tech Matt Fuente they are coming off of a win against Georgia Tech but uh yeah still not good in Blacksburg and it wouldn't be surprised wouldn't be surprised to see him let go at the end of the year Who's not back of the week presented by Texas? You guessed it. It's Texas. They lose 31 to 24 to Baylor. And despite their pretty good start where people, of course, were getting hyped up and excited for them, they uh, they are back at 500, posting a four and four record so far. So it's been a long season in Austin and, uh, you know, uh, not not terribly surprising for Sark's first year. My helmet sticker of the week goes to Kenneth Walker III. He had 197 rushing yards and five touchdowns against Michigan. That's one of the more impressive stat lines we've seen all year, so big ups to Kenneth Walker. The non-ranked game of the week I've got, even though I was just trashing both of these teams, Texas at Iowa State, even though they might not be great teams. I think this will be a great game. Iowa State's a six and a half point favorite. That game kicks off at 6.30 p.m. in Ames. The group of five game of the week is Tulsa at Cincinnati. Now that all the other group of five teams have lost a couple games and put them out of contention, you know, all eyes on Cincinnati. This is game day, like I mentioned. So the Bearcats need to stop screwing around and get themselves a couple big blowout victories. Our Pac-12 game after dark game of the week is USC at Arizona State. The Sun Devils are an eight and a half point favorite. This one doesn't kick off till 9:30 p.m., so it'll be a good one to snuggle up after all the SEC night games end and uh, ride out your evening with that in Tempe. Arizona State, you know they've they've still had a pretty solid year, and uh, USC has been all over the damn place. So I think the Sun Devils will win that one. But if USC's clicking, it could be a really entertaining game. What I'll be watching the best games in the morning, afternoon, and evening time slots at 11 a.m. The morning slate is pretty weak, so if you have any grocery shopping or chores to get done, that would be the time. Uh, however, number nine Wake Forest plays at North Carolina. The Tar Heels, despite how disappointing they've been all year, is a two-and-a-half-point favorite as an unranked team over number nine Wake, so we see this trend continue. Um, I mean, damn. I, I don't I, I don't know what, what Vegas likes about UNC. They've just been disappointing all year long. They're coming off of a loss to Notre Dame, which, you know, in South Bend, there's really no shame in that but Wake Forest they're an underdog as a top 10 team on the road so it'll be interesting to see if they can keep their undefeated ACC and playoff bid going 230 of course is uh, number 13 Auburn at number 14 A&M and the night game you know who I will be watching but on the side TV and probably the rest of the country 
The most interesting game for me is going to be Tennessee at number 18, Kentucky. So even though Tennessee's technically not a favorite, they're a pick 'em, which we'll go ahead and throw that in the uh, ranked team, basically being an underdog, especially with Kentucky being at home. So that's all I got for the games. Uh, best bet of the week. I have not had a chance to really dive into the lines yet. Iowa State screwed us, and we dropped to 6-4 and four on the year. So I think if I can come out, get one more win, we'll guarantee ourselves to draw even on the year. Two more wins would guarantee that we have a profitable regular season. So I'm really going to try to buckle down and finish strong on these guys when going, you know, no complaints about 66% overall by any means. Um, lastly, we've got the game day grub. I always like to do something kind of Cajun seafood themed when Bama plays LSU. So Gabby Covey has a great low, low country boil recipe that uh, is one of my favorite things in the world to make. It's got corn, sausage, shrimp, potatoes, bunch of, you know, like crab seasoning. You throw in the big giant pot, just let it roar for a couple hours. And it is totally delicious, super easy to feed a lot of people with that. Um, thinking about maybe gumbo or something, it's not going to be quite cold enough as I would like for that, but, uh, you know, I'll always eat a nice bowl of gumbo. If anybody has good, like good Cajun recipe, feel free to send it over my way. Um, I need to reach out to KP cause I know he's, he's got all the, all the recipes in that regard, but yeah, we'll, we'll post whatever it is on social and get that out to y'all before the games this weekend. So hope everybody had a good week, enjoyed the World Series, enjoyed all of the uh, games last week. And we've got a few good matches, especially in the SEC, that'll kind of shape up what the rest of the season's going to look like, especially in the West. So looking forward to it. Got a couple interviews coming up the next few weeks. So we're going to finish out strong and Thanks for uh thanks for hanging in there and listening everybody. Appreciate you.